Welcome back to The Rate of Change with York Wealth Management. The Rate of Change is a podcast which explores the ever-shifting momentum of financial markets through the eyes of some of the brightest minds in wealth management. I'm your host, Murdoch Gaddy, and in today's rockcast, we're speaking with Grant Hackett, the CEO of Generation Development Group. Prior to Grant's corporate career, he was a multiple Olympic champion representing Australia in swimming and has held numerous world records. We dive into detail about Grant's formative years, what lessons of life he's carried over from his Olympic career into the world of financial markets, the challenges he has faced, and how he has overcome them. Grant discusses Generation Development Group's two core businesses. Firstly, Generation Life, which offers clients and advisors access to two key services being investment bonds and retirement income products. Secondly, the strategic investment arm in which GDG owns a 49% stake in Longsec. Longsec is a leading provider of investment research, portfolio construction, and consulting services in Australia. For me, I found Grant's thoughts on how important it is to surround yourself with great people, mentors, coaches, both in the pool and in the investing world to be so insightful. I was also intrigued by how GDG's search for long-term tax-effective investment structures to support the management and transfer of intergenerational wealth, quite interesting. Especially now with the changes to superannuation being at the forefront of people's minds. So before we get into the podcast, I'd like also like to encourage you to listen to the disclaimer at the end of this cast and to keep your feedback coming. You can reach me at m gatty at ywm.com.au. With that being said, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Grant Hackett, welcome to the Rate of Change with York Wealth Management. Thanks very much for having me, Murdoch. It's great to have you on. Mate, uh, looking forward to, to running through a few things today, sport and business. It's a bit of fun. Someone's got to do it. Uh, many of you may be familiar with Grant and his many accolades in the pool, but uh, many of you may not be familiar with his achievements out of the pool. So, uh, Grant, why don't we kick things off and uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, about your formative years and uh, what lessons of life you have carried over into the world of finance. Oh, look, for me, I mean, yeah, just I guess the brief overview of my life. Um, got it, got into the pool when I was very young because my brother got beaten in a surf race by a couple of girls and wanted to do um, swimming lessons and therefore I just tagged along with him. He was six and a half years older than me. He went off, did the Uncle Toby Super Series, the Ironman Series with the likes of Trevor Hendy for a few years. I went into the pool lanes, wanted to go to the Sydney Olympics and that sort of became the dream for me. Went through my swimming career, always made sure I was studying at the time. I was doing commerce law at, at uni post high school. I grew up on the Gold Coast and then uh, transitioned into finance after 13 years on the national swim team and, and three Olympic Games. Was always keen on business finance. Um, like I said, I was studying, went in, did my um, master's degree after after sport, after being in um, Westpac for a few years. And yeah, that's kind of been, I guess, the, the evolution of me. Fast forward probably what, 15, 16 years later now since um, I finished my sporting career and now I'm CEO of a, a business called Generation Life um, and our, I also run our listed entity which is called Generation Development Group and we've got two businesses that sit underneath that, one being Lonsec and the other one being uh, the Life Company. So, yeah, it's been a, um, it's been a fun journey. 
Um, loving everything that I'm doing. Uh, married, uh, fourth child on the way uh, in August as well. So yeah, life's full. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited. So what challenges did you face in the transition uh, out of the pool into the world of financial markets and uh, how did you overcome them? Yeah, I guess um, some of the, the, the challenges, I mean, they're, they're vast, right? They're many, they're little ones, they're big ones. I, I think for me, um, you know, coming out of the pool into the, the business world, it's a massive transition because the first thing that you realize is that you were kind of like almost the global CEO of what you did. You were the best of the world of what you did um, and for a long time. And then all of a sudden you go into Collins Street on a Monday morning and you're not the best at the table um, when I was first going into banking and finance. And, you know, that, that realization came around pretty quickly. Um, and then I got to, I guess, a, a point through that process where I thought, well, I can, I can either just try and, you know, stay in sport for, you know, the rest of my life, or I could really focus here and bed down and do something different, which is what I really wanted to do and what, what I was passionate about. And, um, so I just, yeah, put, put my head down and, and focused on that, but it's a big transition. It's hard, um, emotionally going through all of that. It's a, it's, it's a transition of identity as well. Um, the thing about sport is if you've been doing it from such a young age, I started when I was four when I was swimming, everyone knew you as an athlete. That's how you were identified. You walk down the street. Um, people know you as the, the, the swimmer um, or the Olympian. And so, you know, to be able to train, and they still do today, um, but then you transition out of sport and all that's left behind you and, and all the accolades that obviously come with that. And then, of course, you, you go through life um, in a very different way. Um, through your formative years, you're not going out and partying. You're not doing the normal things. You're actually going training at, you know, quarter to five in the morning. You're, uh, you know, missing all the, the sort of things at high school that you'd normally be doing or going into university and having the, the fun experience. For me, I was doing most of my university studies on a plane, traveling around the world, um, competing. Um, you know, our sport, we compete or race for 49 weeks of the year and have three weeks off. That's the way it worked for me from about the age of 15 or 16 all the way to age 28. So, yeah, there's there's heaps of challenges that come with that. But the one thing that I really learned through the pool was that that high-performance structure, um, being around a bunch of athletes that were all trying to be the best at what they did. And not only the athletes, but the coaches. They were all trying to be the best at what they did too. And the, the management we had around the team, you know, your physio, your massage, your nutritionist, everyone was there focused on being the very, very best. And so um, from that point of view, it was great because you learned that psychology and that that psychology was really embedded in you around high performance and doing whatever it took to get the outcomes you're looking for, regardless of the adversity or challenges that you might have had through your way. You know, I swam the Olympics with a partially collapsed lung in 2004 because I had pneumonia, pneumonia at the start of the year and, and blocked my lung for so long with mucus that it was actually in, in it sitting in a ball, uh, the bottom half of my left lobe. So... You know, all those sorts of things teach you a lot for, for business. And then when you go into business, you've got to obviously learn the skills of, you know, what you're doing and, you know, the dynamics of that market, your products and, you know, how to run the teams effectively and, and, and all the, the things that come along with that. But in terms of the overarching principles of success, they're exactly the same regardless of what field you're in. And I think that's the fortunate thing that I had through sport and going through those adversities. I definitely had a different question to ask, but I really want to come back to the psychology of this because I've got a lot of friends, mm -hmm. um, as we were discussing off air, that, you know, sport mm -hmm. either made it or didn't make it or something equivalent. But mm -hmm. the one thing that everyone discusses that I know they've gone into property or finance or something equivalent like yourself has, it's, it's kind of having to re retrain. Well, sorry, how I said this before. An athlete's body is the tool, right? But now essentially your mm -hmm. mind is the tool. 
And would you you you, you said mm. it correctly that I think the the process is exactly the same. You get up, you do the same thing over mm. and over again, and essentially you know it builds, yeah. right? But how did you find? Um, and you mentioned coaches before. So was there anyone specifically that it helped you with that particular transition? Essentially, you know, taking your tool from being your body to just your mind when essentially your mind, as you mm. said correctly, you're preparing yourself psychologically to go through these battles and come out the other side when essentially now it's just all mm. your mind. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I I understand what you're saying, but I almost slightly disagree with it in some respects because it's definitely more swayed towards the mental aspect and the aptitude side, obviously, when you go into business versus the physical side. But I think they're all important in all fields. Um, the balance and support, of course, it's, it's mostly physical, but you have to have a certain level of aptitude strategically to do what you need to be able to overcome the pressure, the stress, the nervousness and everything that you've, you've got to go through. So um, it's not just, you know, sort of straightforward physical preparation. So the, the psychology is very important in that. Obviously, that balance then shifts when it comes into to business and trying to be successful in a different field. But I do think that the physical attributes are really important, like, you know, good sleep, good nutrition, um, not, not drinking too much, all those things that you should do to make sure that you're actually in the best mental state to be able to execute and deliver and deliver consistently. Consistency is the most important thing, um, being able to show up every single day and have those day-to-day disciplines that actually, you know, lead to, to the success and, and sort of parting you against the, the rest of the field. So, yeah, I mean, as, as much as you have to go through a rebalancing of that sort of mental, emotional and physical kind of approach towards whatever you're doing, um, at the end of the day, you do need all three. Um, in terms of that transition that you just spoke to, Murdoch, sort of coming out of the pool, I actually wish I used a lot more psychologists through my career because it's one thing where I could have probably sharpened up a little bit more in terms of my approach. I thought it was a weakness, if I'm being totally honest. I thought if you needed someone to be able to help you out like that, that, that was a weakness. That was me through my teen years. And, and that's me not having enough worldly experience to appreciate that I'm training every other muscle. Let's train that muscle to the absolute maximum as well. And I wish I did more of that because I've done a lot more of that since my sporting career just to understand who am I, what makes me tick, what drives me. Um, how do I have to get the balance in my life? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses, et cetera, to be able to refine all that around myself? Um, but there, there's certain aspects that we all look back on where I thought, you know what? Um, I probably thought I was a bit too good there through my sporting career and I probably could have even been better if I adopted some of these things and actually had a bit more of an open mind to it. So I think as I get older, I kind of sit more on the edge of my seat and question myself more and more and get more curious because I could have done that better back then. And that's probably some of the challenges when you have success at such a young age, you think you've got the the formula mastered, but really you're just, you're just starting out. Isn't that the joys of being young and the lessons of experience? And then having... <laughs> correct, correct, <laughs> correct. You know, you, you, when, you, when you're young, of course, you think you know it all, and the older you get, the, the more you realise you know nothing. <laughs> we all need a Yoda in our life to essentially show us the pathway or a Mr Miyagi. Um. Well, let's talk about uh, Generation Life, right? So uh, for many people that aren't familiar with Generation Life, as you were saying before, it's broken up into the Generation Development Group and then essentially the services and entities underneath. So do you want to give a bit of colour around how that works and operates? Yeah, sure. So um, really exciting business that I got involved with back in 2017. So um you know, we first kicked off that back then. It was named a, a different business. We changed it to Generation Development Group, which is a listed entity, GDG. 
Um, we then had the, the life company that sat underneath it that we renamed and rebranded Generation Life, which had one product at the time called an investment bomb, which is an after-tax paying um, structure with a maximum tax rate of 30%. Um, however, you know, the, the sort of average tax rates for a lot of our funds sit between 12 and 15%. So that was a product we knew that would be hugely popular because in 2017, that's where those initial sort of big changes in superannuation took place. And we wanted to be able to capture a lot of those flows that necessarily wouldn't be going to the superstructure anymore or used as an alternative. Um, on the other side, um, you know, back in, what was it, when we completed the deal with Lonsec, we bought 37% of Lonsec. So Lonsec's a qualitative research firm, but also asset management firm um, through SMA um, and the MDA space. And we saw a great opportunity there post-Royal Commission where, um, you know, the portfolio construction probably wasn't going to be done directly by practices or dealer groups anymore. They're probably going to go to more independence um, like a Lonsec business. So when we bought that business, it was, you know, it's still researching a lot of products, probably about 12 or 1300. It's closer to 1700 plus today, but it had 659 million worth of funds under management. Fast forward less than three years later, it's now sitting at 8.2 billion. Um, so it's grown significantly and we've taken that equity stake from 37 up to 49.2%. So yeah, so you sort of look at us as, as three businesses, listed entity, life insurance company, generation life, and then the research business, um, Lonsec Holdings. It's almost like a fintech, essentially. Like it's a research entity. No advice. It, it's not really advisor driven, is it? It's essentially like SMAs or ETFs, essentially risk adjusted portfolios. And then you have that community and then they're looking where to go and where to allocate. Is that how that, that long sec business has been restructured? Yeah, it's or- essentially. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously driven, you know, by, by advisors, comes through the platforms, um, right. you know, through the, the, the dealer groups and, you know, they help with the portfolio construction. You know, I've got seven different types of, several different types of portfolios there that you can choose from in the SMA space. Obviously, they've got the MDA space, which is even more tailored, probably for more sort of highly affluent, high net worth individuals. So, yeah, I mean, and that business has done extremely well. Then we sort of flip back on the life company side with the investment bond. Um, you know, we've gone from when we, you know, back in 2017, it was sitting, you know, touch probably under 700 million in funds under management. Fast forward to today, that's 2.5 billion. And, um, you know, we've introduced a new product, which is an investment linked lifetime annuity called life income. That's the first of its kind, you know, so, so many of those baby boomers obviously going into retirement, longevity risk, sequency risk being significant things. So we thought what a great way to address that market instead of just having the traditional lifetime annuities that are, are fixed interest linked. Let's have an investment linked product that you can switch around with different investment options, but know that you're never going to run out of money um, because it's an annuity stream. So, yeah, we, we kind of um, look at ourselves as a, as a bit of a disruptor in the product space. So we're always looking for, for new opportunities, growing markets, and then trying to be able to address that market with best in class products and strategies. Yeah, and especially adapt to the changes with what the government likes to throw at us. So specifically, and a lot of people are familiar with what's happening with uh, Super, I think this is a very good pivot into this particular conversation. So do you want to give a bit of clarity around the changes in Super, what this means, and you know why that insurance bond may be a good you know option for people looking to allocate outside of the Super framework but still want similar benefits to what they're receiving in Super? Yeah, I mean, it, it all took us by surprise, I think, a couple of months ago. You know, they were talking about um, potential changes in super and trying to define, you know, what is super all about? What does a dignified retirement actually look like? And what's an equitable retirement look like? And, you know, then all of a sudden they came out and they said, for balances above $3 million, it's got to have an extra 15% tax. So effectively doubling the tax um, that's already there for, for those amounts that exist today. 
And also, it doesn't matter if those gains are realized or unrealized, they're going to be taxed anyway. And that $3 million threshold is not going to be indexed. Um, and they said this is only going to affect half a percent of the entire population. So 99.5% of people aren't affected. It's only going to be 80,000 people. Um, and this is, this is a material change because this obviously changes, um, super and the use for it and how people viewed super too. So even though it might only affect 80,000 people today, obviously not being indexed, that'll, you know, creep up, um, quite a bit more over the next few years. But at the end of the day, um, people that were just putting money inside super, putting it in assets that, you know, were kind of, you know, sort of land banking or direct property and stuff like that. Now, the fact that you're going to be taxed on those assets, um, whether they're realized or not, you're not necessarily going to have the cash flow. People are going to be looking for alternative structures. Um, and it's when really the investment bond um, structure starts to come into its own, particularly for balances above that, um, where effectively for a lot of our funds, our tax rate is less now. We have greater state planning features we because we've got binding nominations. So therefore, you can determine how and when your funds will be transferred. Um, so a lot of our inflows are just for estate planning purposes, not for the tax arbitrage that exists in there. And it's also credit protected too. So, you know, a lot of people utilize trust structures, of course, to make sure they protect their assets. You can do all three things inside our trust. You can do estate planning, you can get your tax arbitrage, and you can get your asset protection. So... Um, we're, we're really starting to come into our own and we're trying to develop more features all the time um, for the advisors and their clients that use it because we see from an estate planning point of view the complexities in blended families or people wanting to bypass a generation because their kids might be divorced and they still want to look after the grandchildren and they're, not, they're worried about how the money will flow out and if we'll actually get to the beneficiaries. So we're solving a lot of common problems for, for families. And you know, we're looking at legislative change and looking at, well, how do we actually become part of the solution around this and help people, you know, support in their wealth management and, and wealth accumulation and, and being able to distribute their funds how and when and when that how and when they'd like to. So that's so there's been a number of changes in super, but essentially uh mm-hmm. can you give me a bit of colour around that. So the investment bond is within the life act, right? So some people might be going, Okay, there's lots of changes in super, you're we're looking at potentially, you know, trying to benefit in a different vehicle and different structure that's in the life act. You know, what if there's changes in the life act? You know, if I move from A to B and then there's a change, you know, you know, what do you think is going to happen there? I think from, from our perspective, um, I mean, we, none of us can predict exactly what's going to happen in the future. We'd, we'd love to be able to have that crystal ball. But really, when you look at the legislative risk around our product, it, it would seem relatively low. We've had one change in the last 22 years, um, which linked us to the, the corporate tax rate, the headline tax rate of 30%. Um, in terms of, I guess, the overall industry, you've got to look at the size of the pie. And we sort of sit in that 12 to $14 billion pie. And you look at um, superannuation, and that's a, a three and a half, you know, trillion dollar pool of money that you've only got to tweak slightly to be able to, you know, make a significant amount of revenue off, which the government is obviously looking for, given how much our debt has grown over recent years. So, and the fact that we're, we're trying to actually get back into surplus in the budget. Also, when you look at the other potential reforms that were in place, you know, we remember the federal election back in 2019 when Shorten was going for election and Chris Bowen was um, looking to, to be the treasurer. You know, some of the proposed changes that they had there was the franking credits inside super. So, again, another change to super. There was increasing the 
um, highest marginal tax rate from 47 to 50. There was taxing trusts at the first dollar of distribution. There was looking at negative gearing. So there was a whole heap of other areas of the pie that are much more significant than investment bonds that they look at changing. So I think if they made a change to us, they wouldn't really drive much revenue out of it because it's not that big yet. Let's fast forward maybe, you know, in a decade or two's time. And if it was, you know, four or $500 billion industry, that could be a very different conversation, but it's just not in that realm yet. So we see it as relatively low legislative risk. And to change the Life Act, you're changing life insurance and, you know, all the products that sit within that category, that is a significant piece of work. And so we just can't see a government finding that attractive um, right now. And the other aspect too, you've got to remember the money that comes here is have the money, the, the tax paid on it um, as well. So they've already been able to, I guess, clip the ticket, so to speak, um, on the on the way through. And then, you know, we're just a, a structure to be able to help people accumulate their wealth from there on. Well, let's uh, let's talk about that. So it's a structure to help people accumulate from you know wealth from there on. Uh, many people may be familiar with you know the the kids bond, so to speak. You know, putting a bond yeah. for the kids for education purposes, right? But you know, can you use that as an example to compare and contrast with the life insurance investment bond vehicle, right? The differences. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, with it, with an education bond, um, you know, people are always looking ways to tax effectively save for their kids' education, particularly if they're going to be sending to to expensive private schools. So, um, it's a great introduction into the the category, I guess you could say, um, of investment bonds. Um, really, when I when I talk to people about an investment bond, as I say, just think of it as another legal structure. I mean, we we all use different legal structures for for different different things. You know, we use our own personal name when it comes to a principal place of residence. We obviously have a superannuation legal structure when it comes to our retirement. Um, when people start to really accumulate wealth, they look at their trust structures or looking at bucket companies. We're just another legal structure to, to be able to invest through. So a lot of people initially will, will dip the toe in the water with, um, you know, a, a product that's a future savings plan, um, such as one of our child builder bonds, um, you know, to be able to save for their, their kid high school, private school fees. Um, and then on the other side, when people start, you know, earning significant amount of money through the pay as you go and get on a high marginal tax rate, um, but they've got discretionary surplus capital coming out of that, they'll, they'll look at one of our other, in, um, products like our life builder investment bond where they'll invest through and be able to make a significant tax arbitrage. Or a lot of the time, if it's people on a lower marginal tax rate, they won't get bracket creep because they're not getting distributions from their investment every single year to put them up on a higher marginal tax rate as well. So, yeah, there's a, a diversity of strategies, but at the end of the day, it's it's a very, very um, simple structure because we're a tax-paying structure. You choose your investments as you would per normally. We've got all the major asset classes in there and multiple options within each, so you can construct your own portfolio or just go into a diversified option. So it's it's very, very easy once once you're able to, to understand and get your head around it and um, start investing. Really want to get into the investment menu because that's the juicy bit. But I, before we get there, um, can we just discuss the specific mechanics, right? So, you know, um, you have to hold it for 10 years. And then a question we get quite, a, quite often is what happens if I get out before 10 years? What happens if I pass yeah. away before 10 years? Just some of the mechanics would be great to dive into. Yeah. Yeah. Like any of these legal structures, there, there's certain rules, um, that apply to it. Um, so for us, a lot of tax benefits inside 10 years. So you maximize the tax benefits after 10 years because there's nothing to declare on, on your tax. If you take a, 
a partial or full redemption, regardless of what that amount is, whether it's a dollar or, you know, $10 million. Um, so nothing to declare in your tax return as part of your overall income for, for that particular year. Inside 10 years, if you were to take, say, a partial redemption because you needed the, the cash flow, say it's at year five, you've obviously had five years of tax deferral. Um, so you've been able to accumulate more, paying a lower tax rate because we all know tax is the biggest expense on any investment. Um, so you've had that benefit. And also the fact that it's a portion. So the way the ATO looks at it, if you've taken a partial redemption, they look at a portion as capital and a portionable as assessable income. And on the assessable income, you always receive a full 30% tax offset. Even if your, your tax rate inside the products only sat at 11 or 12%, you always get that full 30% offset. So you can see inside the 10-year time frame, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, tax benefits. Post 10 years, you maximize those tax benefits. And if you were to pass away in the meantime, these are 100% tax-free upon death, regardless of who the beneficiary is, a dependent or a non-dependent, doesn't matter. And if you've held it for five minutes or 50 years, the same rules apply. So that's why it's such an effective estate planning vehicle. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that really surprised me. Like I had a client in their 90s and he said to me, you know, if something happens, you pass away, you know, my kids get it tax-free. I'm like, what are you talking about? This happened conversation many years ago, but then when we were dug into it, I was just quite stunned about, you know, that tr- a tool for transition of wealth, like, you know, that, that preparation yeah. before, because, you know, we've all had, you know, family pass away and grandparents, et cetera. And then, but if, mm-hmm. if you don't do that, potentially the taxes are huge in that particular thing, but that, that preparation beforehand, I just found it kind of blew my mind that this tool was available and not many people know about it. Any What's no, around it, that? It, it, it's, it's quite remarkable. Well, I think, um, you know, what people say, well, why don't I know more, more about this if it's such a great structure? And it's like, well, the other structures have been sort of too good for too long almost. You know, people just used superannuation as the vehicle to accumulate their wealth. And most of the money, obviously, in the country sits with the, the baby boomers. You know, they've got a lot of the real estate, the big super balances. They're all sort of heading into retirement now. They've had, you know, sort of 40 years of working life. And, you, you, you look at that and then there was no caps in super. You could put as much money as you wanted to in there. You know, back in, you know, the 2000s sometime, you could put that extra million dollars in there too. So there was all these incentives to accumulate your wealth in one particular area. And that kind of party has stopped now. And they're like, whoa, 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 this is going to be a little bit too big. The tax incentives are a little bit too generous and we've got to start putting the brakes on this. And, and look, we've always been outside of super because you've got full liquidity access to your funds at any time. We've always been a great vehicle and it's always been very popular. And in fact, this was the quarter of the size of superannuation once until they made all those attractive um, super changes and the super guarantees um, came in back in 1992. So I think um, this sort of product structure has just done full circle and, where it's our, it's our job as, you know, being number one in market share and inflows in the space and being the biggest innovator is to go out there and educate the market on this. And, and we're, we're very, very clear. We, we see a lot of strategies. You know, we deal with, you know, close to 2,000 advisors on an annualized basis now and their clients. And we've got tens of thousands of customers. Um, and we, we're always looking at new strategies all the time for financial advisors. And we're the first ones to say, hey, no, what you're looking for and the outcome that you're trying to get this strategy of the investment bond doesn't work, or in this one, it does work. It's fantastic. It's way better than the alternative. And, and we show all the numbers and crunch all the numbers around that through our distribution team and our technical team. So, you know, from, from that point of view, it's just <clears throat> the other structures have just been so, so attractive. But, you know, now, now times have changed and, you know, we're seeing a lot of legislative change 
not just in recent times, but over the past few years. And then this is where clients say to me that this structure sounds fantastic, but what investment options can I choose from, which we were discussing before? So uh, what, what is available? Um, you know, uh, how often does that get updated? And the reason why I say this is like any fund manager is like a great empire. You know, it, it rises for a long period of time, then something changes, and then you yeah. essentially you get the drift, right? So a lot of investors, yeah. I think now for myself, the people that we look after are uh, thinking more tactically yeah. these days, like the ability – well, this, I mean, we've never seen anything like this current market in the past five years. It's gone from peak Goldilocks boom, March 2020, pumping money into essentially a completely drying up potential credit crisis recession. So essentially the capacity to move, like I would love more than anything to use a strategic portfolio and let it go for 30 years, but I'm finding that people we're talking to kind of want a bit more flexibility. So I suppose long-winded question, but what – uh, choices are available that clients can in- invest in? And mm. secondly, what's the process to potentially add more things onto the menu? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. So <clears throat> for us, when I first joined the firm, we, we had 33 options on the investment menu covering most of the asset classes. Um, fast forward to today, we've got you know 65 options that, that sit on the investment menu. We've got you know, model portfolios on there. We've got tax effective options on there. <clears throat> We've got a thing called the, the tax optimized series that we work with a lot of the major fund managers that allows us to use our full tax rules and actually lower our effective tax rates quite materially. And we're always looking at new strategies all the time. So basically we, we try and offer, <clears throat> you know, to, to be very simplistic about the menu is we try and offer all the asset classes or we try and make it easier and offer you diversified options in there if that's what you want to do, you know, going to your conservative up to your high growth funds. Or we, we look at, you know, the other aspect of the menu and go, okay, how do we how do we actually make it more tax optimised? We're an after-tax paying structure and we really invested heavily in that, that area. So 20 out of our 65 options sit in what we call the tax optimised or tax aware series, which have an effective tax rate that generally sit below 15%, below the headline rate of superannuation, regardless of whatever your marginal tax rate is. So, um, and you've got plenty to, to choose from there. The other aspect of the menu too is we've got to make sure that these are high quality fund managers um, that we do a lot of qualitative and quantitative research on and that there's financial advisor and client demand there as well. So we make sure we work with the industry to compile an investment menu that works and we're always assessing them. We've got a full investment team, a full product team here that are, you know, oversee the menu. We've got an investment committee that oversees that menu that both has internal um, and external people that sit on that committee. Um, we'll update the menu when we need to. We'll add to the menu when we'll need to. We realize that, you know, financial markets, to your points, Murdoch, is very dynamic and changing all the time. And we've got to make sure that we're doing that. And if we call ourselves innovators, um, that's something that we need to be conscious of. And we've also got to make sure that, you know, we're very much a scale business. We, we've got to see these funds. Um, they've got to be popular for financial advisors, amongst financial advisors and their clients as well. They've got to, there's got to be that certain level of demand there because then we can, do more tax optimization around it. We can, you know, help support um, more around those funds to be able to deliver the best outcomes for the clients too. So you say this is is this heavily demand driven, which I really quite like, right? So uh, mm. if an advisor or an investor comes up and says that we're looking at this particular vehicle, would like to allocate a particular mm. amount of money, what's actually the process and how long does it take for you to consider a particular investment vehicle and then for that to be added to the menu? 
Uh, usually um, for, for us, if there was someone who wanted their own, you know, investment options sitting on our investment menu, it's a, it's a little bit of a process behind it because we have to go to APRA. We're regulated by APRA being a life company. So we have to go um, get a thing called a benefit fund, which is where we sit. Every single investment has its own benefit fund. What I call a benefit fund, it's a trust structure for a life company is effectively how you would think of it. So they all sit individually in their own benefit funds, which we get approval from Mapper on to do. And then we put it on the investment menu. And usually getting to scale for us per investment option is about $50 million. So it's quite a significant amount of money. But, you know, when you look at you've got billions of dollars sitting on the menu, um, you know, you, you're able to do it when you've got enough demand there. So from that point of view, if we start talking through our distribution team, um, you know, these, these, you know, sort of new investment options are becoming quite popular. They've got good research ratings around them. They've got a good stable team. You know, there's no style drift amongst their strategy. That, that fund manager is sticking to what they said that they would do. So we make sure we go through a strict due diligence process to make sure that that investment option is doing everything it's supposed to be doing. So we don't just put anything on there. We, we do our homework on it. And look, if it was um, for a single financial practice or for a single dealer group, we realise that, that if they've got enough funds under manager them, management themselves that they'll be able to get to scale, we will enter into some sort of negotiation with them to, to potentially look at putting that on the investment menu for them. But we might necessarily put it on a main menu. We might we might sit at what we'll call below the line for a supplementary PDS that's just for their, their client base as long as we sort to get to that, that scale so we could run it properly. Because... As you can imagine, there's a lot of resourcing that goes around these things. We're an after-tax paying product. We've got actuaries that sit around it. We've got a, a product team that sits around this, an investment team that sits around this. We've got all our administration and back office teams as well. So, you know, we basically do the management from, from end to end. So uh, we've got to make sure that, you know, there's, there's enough money in there to be able to satisfy the costs that sit around those things. So where does the main inquiries you're finding come from the interest? Do you find it's mainly coming from the advisor community or the estate planners or uh, people coming directly? Like where do they find out about this process and how it works? Yeah, so it's it's funny, like just to give you the, the breakdown of that. So 92% of our inflows do come through financial advisors um, um, to the point that we were making before. It's not the, the, the structure, the legal structure of an investment bond is not known about as mainstream as, you know, superannuation for argument's sake. It's not that many people could tell you much about superannuation and how all the rules works and the nuances, but they know about it because it's in the media all the time. That's, that's the big, the big difference, uh, I think, between us and something like super. Um, in terms of, you know, the sort of demand and the, the way it's driven, you know, we're always looking with the working with the financial advisors in terms of what they want to see um, on the investment menu in terms of those um, inflows. If we can educate them, you know, at the same time, you're usually educating one or 200 clients. So um, for us, a, a lot of our business is constructed to be able to support financial advisors and their practices because they're the ones at the end of the day giving the holistic advice. And look, for our other product, our investment-linked lifetime annuity called Life Income, we only distribute that through financial advisors because going into retirement, and this is just a firm belief, it's just so complex. You know, you've got to consider everything from how is my, my income going to last? How am I going to leave a legacy from an estate planning point of view? Um, how am I going to get more access to the age pension? You know, all these sorts of things. How long am I going to live for? All these sorts of things that you've got to consider. And one of the other aspects, we did $639 million worth of inflows um, last year. And funnily enough, 55% of that was actually for estate planning purposes. 
so the tax arbitrage or alternative to super wasn't the big driver of the fund flow that year. It was actually estate planning as the, the primary use where, you know, coming into 2025, once we see these changes implemented around superannuation, um, that could flip on its head and we could see a lot of money coming outside of super once people are in pension phase and able to, to take it out and um, coming into to a structure like the investment bond. So, yeah, so let's, let's talk about, about more about the... Um uh, the income earner, right? Because we've done a, quite a bit on the generation life of the investment product. Any more color you want to give around that particular product, how it works? Like, you know, if you put in a million dollars, you know, how does it actually operate? How do you say this is the payments that are coming out? You know, how does it actually work yep. on the income? So, like- so the way the way the, the lifetime annuity life income works is um, basically when you, when you've looked at it, just to give a, a short history lesson on on these products. You know, annuity products have been around the world forever. Very popular in different regions of the world. Um, here in Australia, we've mainly just had traditional lifetime annuities, and the reason that was the case, and they were just fixed interest linked products. So not a great return over the last decade, given how low interest rates have been. Um, you know, and but. People liked them because they gave you additional access to the age pension because that capital that you would be put in there is discounted on your your net assets. So therefore, it gives you an uplift in age pension because of the way the assets tests work. Um, so they were, they were very popular um, because of that. But the return profile wasn't great because, like I said, they were fixed interest linked products and the government legislation only allowed it to be fixed interest products. They then introduced the innovative income streams um, back in 2017 now, this meant you could actually have a lifetime annuity that could have income that could rise and fall from one year to the next, um, which meant it could be investment linked, you know, and generally investments grow a lot more than what fixed interest products do over time. You know, you look at all the different asset classes over the last 100 years and you know, global equities, Australian equities, et cetera, et cetera, um, equities have always grown a, a lot more. So this presented a great opportunity for a product manufacturer like us to be able to introduce a product that's got guaranteed income for life. So our product is 100% reinsured um, with Hanover Re, which is a double A minus credit rating, the same as our big four banks. So that's that's the first thing. So no matter how long you live for, you're always going to be paid in income. Just say you invest, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars into it, you'll receive, depending on how old you are um, and you, whether you're male or female, that'll determine your starting income for, for that first year of that investment. And from there on, your your income is linked to the unit price. So if you grows from a dollar to a dollar ten that unit price, your income obviously increases by by ten percent the following year, and then that's basically the way it works. But what the the flexibility of our product is so good around compared to the traditional lifetime annuities is you can change at any point in time. So if you want to keep it the same as your superannuation or your your, your pension in terms of a balanced fund that you might be investing in, you can invest in a balanced fund for your lifetime annuity. If you go, you know what, I've got enough sitting in my account-based pension, I actually want to have a bit more growth in my my lifetime annuity. You can go into a high-growth product. Or if the opposites happen and you want to be more conservative, you can go into more of a fixed-interest product, but you can switch out of that at any point in time too. So we've got a product that guarantees income for life. It gets you that discount on the assets test, so therefore you can access age pension for, for a lot of the clients, depending on what their financial means looks like. But the flexibility of it is remarkable and the fact that you've got investment choice that you can switch in at any time. So, yeah, it's been really, really exciting to bring such an innovative product to the market. 
we don't call it the silver bullet. We say this this helps with longevity risk and sequency risk. And of course, sequency risk being when markets fall off a cliff like the GFC. Um, so when you're account-based pension and you're forced to take a combination of capital and income that year and it declines quite quickly, that you know you still got to have income for the rest of your life because you've got this product in place. So yeah, we just see um, these types of products, you know, sort of forming part of the puzzle for, for retirement to be able to address all your needs and enjoy your retirement. A lot of people go into retirement and don't spend their money because they don't know how long they're going to live for and they're afraid they're going to run out or they're afraid their medical bills are going to be ridiculous as they start getting older, where we can say with confidence to say, hey, if you allocate a portion of your retirement savings to a product like this, you know you're not going to run out of money. So why don't you enjoy the part of retirement that you can when you're physically healthy enough to be able to go and travel and tick off all the bucket list and in the back half know that you've got the security of a guaranteed income for life and you can pay for the necessities that you need to to, to live the lifestyle and standard of living that you'd like to have. So, yeah, I get super excited about this sort of stuff and our innovations because I, I just think they're changing people's lives and the way we can live retirement here in this country. Nothing better than peace of mind in this uh, very, very expensive economy we're currently dwelling in um, <laughs> so you, you touched on that before that uh, let's let's discuss what's the future essentially in this space there's my understanding of the business is you've got gdg which is essentially the umbrella and then you're an innovative company which looks for essentially the right structure to essentially help and evolve with what's coming down the park so where do you think the future mm. is for gdg and what's next well, We've we've got um, you know not to go too too depth in a strategy given we're a listed company. Um, we we really look at if I was looking from an acquisition point of view, if I'm just talking from a GDG perspective, we kind of look at you know sort of you know three or four key elements when we're we're looking at acquisitions. One, we we like investments that high barriers to entry, so hard to get a life license. A research business you know takes thirty years to to build up, so high barrier to entry. Good legislative tailwinds. So we're looking at what, what is the thematic? What, what is the government looking to do? Where, what's the state of the economy? What's the demographic shift? You know, baby boomers obviously going into retirement. Post-retirement assets doubling from $800 billion to basically $1.5 trillion by 2030, you know, in the next six and a half years. So what, what, what are the legislative tailwinds and what are the, what's actually going on more broadly in terms of any demographic shift that we're seeing? Um, the other aspects, reoccurring revenue and great growth opportunities. Um, so that's what we look for when we're, we're looking at potential acquisitions um, as a group. In terms of products, when I sort of take it down a step level into to both of the businesses that we oversee, is that we're really looking at products that are innovative in the space. So it could be an old industry. It could be anything from you know, traditional lifetime annuities could be life insurance, not saying we're doing anything like that in that space could be the investment bond, which has been around for a very long time. We're going, well, how do we actually innovate in this product category to adapt it to what's required today? Because we feel like the construct and the basic, the, the basic bones of this product um, is really, really good, but there's just been no innovation. So how do we actually come into the space, disrupt it a little bit, bring it up to speed where we see markets actually shifting and going? So, and we're, we're looking at stuff like that all the time. We're always going through um, sort of, you know, think tanks or, you know, due diligence with different products um, and seeing what we can do, testing it with financial advisors, talking to financial advisors. Where I'm always out there too, talking to the coalface, understanding what's going on, what are their problems, what are their challenges, how do we better address and adapt those, whether that's a small or a large innovation such as a, a new product like the life income product. So, 
yeah, there's there's always plenty of opportunities coming around the, the, the corner, but it's just a matter of picking the right one and also becoming that brand too. We, we've really started to become a brand that people do see as an innovator. Last year, the AFR Boss Awards, we were the seventh most innovative um, company in the country uh, there. So because of our, our new um, lifetime annuity product, Life Income. So those sorts of things get us really, really excited. And and we just love working with the coalface too. We love being able to build products and strategies that people will use and see a lot of benefits out of. I think that, that drives our entire team. Is the focus predominantly just uh, nationally in Australia or does what you're doing and looking to achieve can be done offshore internationally? Look, it's or is it too difficult with the, yeah, too difficult with the legislation changes in other countries? Well, I mean, it, it's predominantly, you know, in, in Australia, obviously, you know, when, it, when you're talking things like Life Act legislation, superannuation, yeah. obviously that's, that's, that's all here, here in this country. Um, it doesn't mean from a GDG point of view, if I step up one from, you know, the operational businesses into the holding company, um, it, are there other investments offshore that we would potentially look at? Uh, absolutely. If I'm talking from a group point of view, um, there's been, you know, one business that we owned, um, called Ascalon that had, you know, minority stakes and multiple um, hedge fund managers um, that were based here um, in Sydney, Hong Kong and Singapore. So, you know, we had that business um, for a while that we originally purchased off Westpac. So, you know, we're, we're always looking at um, different opportunities where, you know, like I said, we sort of see those three or four characteristics that we're looking for around high barriers to entry, recurring revenue, great growth um, prospects or opportunities there and legislative tailwinds. So that doesn't mean it's isolated just to Australia, but most likely the, the stuff that we will purchase will be here. And, and in terms of products that we're doing with the existing company, um, companies, they're, they're certainly here in Australia. Yeah, right. That's been really interesting. Is there any thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? Like anything that comes to mind? Um, I, the, the one thing that I always like to share, you know, when I'm, when I'm having a chat in a podcast and, you know, you're sort of talking to a variety of people is, you know, when you're thinking about your finances – um, I always think it's just so important, like sport, like in business when you have a mentor, in sport you have a coach. When you're trying to build your wealth and you're trying to look at your retirement and have the best retirement and lifestyle possible, you need a coach or a financial advisor in there too. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're one of the best athletes in the world, Michael Jordan had a coach. So you can, you can always be better. It's always great to have someone who keeps you accountable. It's always have someone there who's at the coalface of all of these new products that we've been talking about over the course of this conversation to be able to steer you in the right direction to meet your objectives and keep you really, really accountable if you're in that phase of wealth accumulation to saving for your retirement or wanting to pay off your house or wanting to send your kids to private schools. It's just good to have someone in your corner. So, yeah, whenever I'm sitting down talking to people, we're – big, big firm believers of having great financial advice around you and pulling on all those resources to, to meet your objectives and your emotional goals that you're trying to, to achieve throughout your life. So that's probably the only other thing I would add. As we currently see, everyone knows about super, right? As you said, it's everywhere. But if people want to learn more about Generation Life, the structures you offer, you know, the specific products, um, what's their best path to learn more about what you guys and girls do? Well, it's, it's easy. I mean, you can, you can either jump on our website and then, you know, contact one of our team members, contact our client services. Um, and, and like I said, we always encourage people, go talk to your financial advisor. Go, go into, you know, get a re referral from one of your friends that's had success with a good financial advisor. Um, go and have a chat to them, talk about these sorts of products 
and then you know get the financial advisor to reach out at us test test it with us what are your objectives what are you trying to achieve we'll help you with the strategy um to be able to try and deliver that outcome and yeah, t- take it from there. We often find, you know, when, when I go back on this business back in 2017, we were working with about 450 advisors on an annualized basis. And like I said, that's gone up almost five times now. So um, the, the reputation, you know, through the, the great sales team and marketing team and product team and investment team that we have has, has really, really grown quite significantly. And like I said, the opportunities to be able to use, utilize this structure have as well. So yeah, certainly look at it whether... We called ourselves, I'll just leave this last point, we called ourselves Generation Life because there is a proposition for each generation. So whether it's just a newborn child that you're trying to do a savings plan for a child builder to save for private school fees one day, whether it's someone for estate planning on the other end trying to distribute to you know lots of wealth, complicated family situation, or it's someone in right in the middle of their working career on a high marginal tax rate of 47% wanting to invest but not pay all that tax. Um, you know, we've got a solution for you. So, yeah, that's that's what Generation Life's about. I often actually wonder that, like, why a company's called a name. Like, I run my own business as well. Like, why I called it a specific name? Like, I called my business, uh, this yeah. podcast, The Rate of Change because we're trying to find essentially, you know, the rate of change when market's going up. That, that two-week period, we start losing <laughs> money and goes the other way. It's like, you know, the game's changing. You know, where are we going next? It's the entire point of speaking yeah. to different people in your, you know, in the wealth management ecosystem but yeah right so that's yeah. why generation life was called it's the idea that we're trying to help someone in each particular generation and what may be coming in 50 years 100 years is going to be completely different to the environment we are today is that is that what, what you guys do is essentially so you're trying to yeah. find essentially the right vehicle for the right time and the right place for that specific generation so you're not tied to one specific thing as legislation changes that's, that's right i mean our product can be so tax effective um, from a structural point of view. You could actually set it up so you could just keep it for the next four or five generations if you wanted to inside our structure. So, so that, yeah, right. that, that's that's what you could do if you wanted to use it to, to that extreme. But, yeah, we, we like simple names too. We're, we're kind of simple in our approach at everything because, you know, in financial services, things can, are complicated enough. It feels like a different language to people. It's already intimidating. So simplicity, um, particularly when it comes to, you know, complicated structures, when you're talking super, talking trusts and companies and investment bonds, we just try and make everything simple and that includes the way we name everything because we want to be able to connect um, with, with the market as best we can. When we didn't want to, when we did our rebranding, we, you know, people come up with Latin names and all sorts of weird things. And we actually just kept coming back to generation because we're like, yeah, we're a solution for each generation. So let's, let's do that. And we've innovated like that over the years as well. So it's, it's nice to be, you know, closely aligned to exactly what you want it to be. Well, Grant, it's been a pleasure. I've learned a lot. I hope everyone else has as well. And I would like to thank you for your time today. No worries. Thanks for having me on, Murdoch. Enjoy the chat. Absolutely. See you soon. Any views expressed in this recording do not represent the view of any other third party and are the sole personal opinions of the speaker. Any reference to financial product does not constitute advice or recommendation and before any action, you should seek proper advice from your financial professional. Australian listeners should head to www.moneysmart.gov.au to find more information on obtaining financial advice. To get in touch with York, head to our website www.yorkwealth.com.au.